FM, this is Connected, episode 402. Uh, today's show is brought to you by our excellent, fine sponsors, who are Squarespace, Clean My, Mac, Clean My Mac X, and Hover. I'm your host from Italy, Federico Viticci, and I'm joined today, exclusively today, well, not really exclusively, but I'm joined today by Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Federico. How are you? I am good. How are you in America? I am good. Uh, there's no Mike this week. He's fine. He just couldn't make it uh, with scheduling stuff. He is recovering. I know we've gotten a lot of notes, people, about his uh, COVID deal at WBDC, and he is he is on the mend, I think. So uh, I'll, I'll speak on behalf of all of us that uh, everyone's concern and care for him was really awesome to see, and yes. I think he'll be back to normal soon enough. Yeah. I think everybody loves Mike, you know? Yeah, like broad, generally speaking, is a very lovable character. I think on the internet, you so, know. Whereas, like you know, some people can have negative feelings for me or you because you know, sometimes we say things in a certain way. But Mike has that British, you know, politeness hmm. to him. I think he's a very lovable guy. I mean, he's a lovable guy in real life, but also on the internet. And so it was awesome to see this theory come true. Everybody loves Mike and cares for Mike. So thank you. So you're saying that if if you or I had landed at WBC and tested positive with COVID, uh, maybe some people would know. be like... Yeah. Well... <laughs> Screw that guy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like thinking that somebody thinks that about either one of us, to be honest with you. You know, I don't know. I've seen comments on the internet before. <laughs> I don't know. All I'm saying is everybody loves Mike, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Okay. So thank you for loving Mike. Keep loving Mike would be, would be my request and advice. So it's coming back to the show soon enough. Soon, but not yet, I guess. <laughs> Let's do some follow-up. Yes. How does that sound? Yes. We have a tweet from Parker. It's a screenshot from the big, long features page. So if you haven't seen these, I'll put a link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, it's this page on Apple's like Mac OS and iOS preview pages. And basically, it's yep. just a, a bunch of text. <laughs> and it lists all the features as like bullet points. And... It's a fantastic resource because it's stuff that oh, yeah. is kind of buried otherwise. It's great. You should check these yeah, out. This is what I do. This is what I do when I'm done sort of uh, organizing the, the the key features announced at WWDC and in sessions. And I organize all my notes and I move things between chapters for the review. But then I go to the all features page. There's one, as you said, for macOS, iOS, and iPadOS. And I just start from the top. And I check all the things like, okay, have I noted this down? Nope. And usually like you find a ton of things. My understanding is that like all these, uh, it's actually like a list of features, like the individual teams at Apple provide the list of all the features that end up in here, minus the bug fixes and improvements. Like in shortcuts, for example, if it's there's going to be like a change to an existing action, it's not, it's not going to be listed on this page, uh, but everything else you can just uh, find in here. It's an incredible resource. Yeah. Yeah. So Parker noted that in the photos section, uh, there are a couple of changes that seem really cool. But the big one they highlighted was you can disable memories and featured photos from appearing in photos Mm -hmm. and in the photos widget. Yeah. This is doesn't seem to be like the full control we want of like, I never want to see a picture of this person in my widget. But I think it does address Mm -hmm. the thing that all three of us dislike 
where memories get added and you tap it and suddenly your phone is playing a slideshow with music at midnight when you're looking at photos on your phone, right? Yeah. And uh, I think, I mean, the memories feature is like, it's nice, but I don't want it. I don't want to be surprised by it. And it, I mean, it's been a year, I guess, since we've had that because that, that was added in iOS 15. And I still like, I'm surprised by it. I still don't like it. And so I think this is a nice addition to, uh, to be able to turn that off. Uh, and I think this sort of the same control is maybe coming to lock screen widgets as well. I don't think it's in there yet, but I think you, you're supposed to be able, when you open the, uh, the widget gallery on the iOS 16 lock screen, you're supposed to be able to say turn off this featured item as well. Um, but I don't think that works yet because I keep finding, for example, um, suggested photos of me for when I was doing chemo, uh, <laughs> which is not a, an idea memory to have as yeah. a suggested item in the widget gallery also like there's a conversation to be had there about like I, you keep mentioning you know these machine learning things and like can you not infer that the guy who used to have long hair before has long hair now there's a, a year in between where he's bald like can you not infer anything there <laughs> but uh, we'll let that pass um that's another conversation but yeah it would be nice to have that same control uh, in the lock screen, I think, you know, these kinds of features, they're coming in future betas. So for the widgets, I'm really happy to see that. Um, I hope it will work on the lock screen as well. Yeah, that'd be that'd be pretty sweet. Y- your example is particularly funny because one way that Apple builds memories is dates and location. Mm-hmm. Like, it knows mm-hmm. those photos were taken yeah. at a hospital. <laughs> like, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> yes, yes. There's a one in particular, which is me hooked up to a bunch of things, and I'm bald, and the location says hospital in this town. And, like, seriously? Like, yeah. can you not imagine what this is? But I guess not. And I the caption not. on the widget is like, back in the day. It's like, come on. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> on this day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. It's, it's, it's okay. It's in the past, and it's all, you know. Everything ended up fine. But yeah, uh, that's a fun one for sure to see. Um, we also wanted to, we had some follow up about um, uh, UI at the bottom of the screen mm-hmm. on the iPhone. We mentioned this before, uh, leading up to WWDC, we were wondering like, are there any other system apps that are going to graduate sort of to the new trend of placing UI elements at the bottom of the screen? And maybe we didn't mention that the new Books app for iOS has this new design and it's it's actually a wild you are I don't have you seen this Steven in books for iOS 16 yeah so we actually spoke about it on the show before WBDC I think because this was mm-hmm. shown was this shown in the press release about the accessibility stuff yes so uh but they showed it they showed like a part of this UI element about the customization, about like, oh, you're going to have controls to personalize, uh, to have more uh, more options for fonts, colors, and size, which is true, but that's a sub-menu. The main menu that you will now see in books is wild. So you have this new button 
there's an icon. Oh, they actually shut off. They actually shut off the entire. No, they didn't show off the entire menu. So the entire, the, the main menu is this single icon in the bottom right corner of the screen. If you look at it, it actually, it actually looks like the stage manager icon, but flip. It really does. <laughs> <laughs> and what this does is an unprecedented UI element. This is a totally custom thing that I have not seen in any other iPhone app made by Apple. You tap this button and this translucent set of rectangles comes up and the first one is both a button and a progress bar. Yeah. It's called contents. What is this? So, <laughs> so this button, it actually does multiple things. So you can press it and it's a button and it opens your tables of contents. But it also tells you your progress inside the book. So it's a progress bar and it, there's a percentage of your progress in reading the book. But you can also swipe across. You can slide your finger on the bar to quickly skim the book. So it's also a slider. Uh, then you have another button for your bookmarks and highlights. The search feature is now another rectangular button. Uh, then you have your themes and settings, which is what Apple showed off. And when you tap this, you get the half sheet UI, the one that they introduced last year in iOS 15. And then you have these three smaller buttons at the very end for sharing, uh, turning off rotation lock, and adding a new bookmark. This kind of menu is books only, and it's kind of wild because it's it uses a bunch of it basically breaks all kinds of UI conventions on iOS. Uh, I mean, it, it looks funny to me. I I cannot really describe it, but the the button that is both tappable and an indicator, but also a slider all at once. I mean, good job. You figured out a way to embed three different. Uh, interactions in a single UI element. It's kind of like Control Center without a background. <laughs> yes, yes. And it also, I didn't notice it until I looked at these screenshots on Mac Rumors. It also casts a shadow on the book page. Oh, God. Yeah. It's, it's subtle, but it's there. I don't know what this is. I mean, like, maybe we'll see more of this UI because it is on the bottom like Maps, but Maps doesn't look like this. No, <laughs> this is no. its own special snowflake. But it's, you know, and, and the icon looks like a stage manager who tripped and fell on the <laughs> side. <laughs> <laughs> we need an icon. Take this one and rotate nine degrees. Yeah. Done. <laughs> Done. Yeah, so if you, if you haven't played with iOS 16 yet, and you probably shouldn't be unless you're a developer, just go look at these screenshots because it is... It's, it's interesting. It, it's an interesting menu. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about your breaking of the beta. You have this tweet uh, talking about poster board, which is the new lock screen. And we had debated last time if it's an app or not. Yeah. Yeah. It turns out it is. And shortcuts can actually see it. And you've done some just terrible things to, to your devices. Yeah, well, this is so there is precedent for shortcuts being able to access um, this kind of system apps uh, that it's not supposed to access in the first beta of iOS. I'm pretty sure this happened before with Springboard, like you could launch Springboard from the open app action of shortcuts. I think <laughs> it was iOS 14 or 15, maybe. Uh, but now, using the same trick, you can launch Posterboard. 
which is the lock screen app, but you can also launch batteries. And if you launch batteries, you get into this debug menu for the batteries widget, which is also funny. Uh, obviously, these are going to get removed in beta 2 or 3. Uh, but what you do is, if you create this single action shortcut that uses open app, and you search for poster board, and you say, yeah, shortcuts, open poster board, uh, what you do is you're going to enter this private uh, debug UI for tweaking the lock screen. The problem is you can run this shortcut on the iPad as well. The <laughs> iPad does not have the lock, the customizable lock screen. And if you try that, you are going to enter the debug menu for the lock screen on your iPad. And from this debug menu, you can actually preview what the widgets and the wallpapers are going to look like. The problem is because they forgot to remove this menu from the iPad. Uh, if you try to uh, enter the live preview for the lock screen on your iPad, uh, it's going to look super broken because you're going to have these iPhone widgets that are supersized on <laughs> the humong- iPad. They cover... And, I mean, they're like twice as tall as the clock. They're huge. Yes. And just to clarify here, you're not customizing your lock screen. You are entering a special debug mode in which you can preview what the lock screen could look like on iPadOS if it were customizable. But you're still inside the poster board app launched from shortcuts. Um, And so, yeah, this is possible now. It's going to get removed very soon. And, you know, I, I... tweeted joking obviously that you know finally i can start preparing for the ipad os 617 review <laughs> with the customizable lock screen <laughs> but it's so broken and with those giants uh, giant widgets uh but yeah uh you know if you want to play around with this i don't know why but if you want to see what a debug menu made by apple looks like uh you can see what it looks like it's such a bummer to me that the ipad is not going to get mm this customizable mm-hmm. lock screen stuff, I think it would be great. You know, it, it feels like a repeat of the widget thing, right? Where, yes. oh, there's widgets on the iPad, but they're they're like stuck over here on the side and you can't have them where you want them. I just, I mean, I kind of hope that it shows up in the beta. I don't think it will. I don't think that's a reasonable expectation, but I wish it would. Yeah, I wish it would too, but this doesn't surprise me because they do this all the time with this kind of iPhone features. They're iPhone first and later they come to the iPad. And when they come to the iPad, they have a special twist. Like on the iPad with widgets, we all thought, oh no, why is I uh, widgets on the home screen iOS 14 only? And then when they came to iPad in iPadOS 15, Apple added the special twist of, well, there's an Excel size now just mm-hmm. for the iPad. So if they do this, next year they're probably going to have new sizes for the lock screen on the iPad or you know different arrangements maybe I also thought and I and I kind of want to know what you think about this but I feel like widgets on the lock screen and they actually make more sense and this is like I know that it kind of sounds like Stockholm syndrome here <laughs> but, but I kind of feel like they make more sense on the iPhone anyway yeah. because especially if the iPhone is getting uh, an always on lock screen which this is like a super telegraphed announcement by the way like these widgets are happening now because an always on lock screen is happening this year on the iPhone 14 Pro uh, but like the iPad are you really glancing on at your iPad lock screen multiple times per day 
I don't think you are. I think most people are either unlocking the lock screen quickly with Touch ID or are sitting in front of their iPad Pro and unlocking with Face ID, you know, just by pressing the space bar, maybe on the Magic Keyboard. So would you really have... Would you really have any value in putting glanceable information on a lock screen that you're going to see for a split second anyway? So, I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, the the sizing thing is interesting too because, like, I think we've said this already, but you really need to think about these these lock screen widgets. They're much more like comp, like Apple Watch complications than traditional widgets, right? Mm-hmm. And at that scale, they may... I mean, they may just be really tiny on the iPad and look silly, right? Yeah. It may just be that yeah. they, they're they going to to bring this later on, like you said, with sort of a, a reimagining of, of what this could be. Yeah, what, what could be interesting is what if, and I'm just spitballing here, really, but, okay, so now we have, let's say you're Apple and you're saying, okay, so we built this technology for glanceable information on the iPhone. And on the iPhone, it's on the lock screen. And on the watch, it's on the watch face. Because those are the two places where you're glancing at information and you want to have data available quickly throughout the day. On your iPad, you're not really glancing at information on the lock screen, right? Because you just want to get your work done or you want to play a game or watch a movie or whatever. But I could see a scenario in which Apple says, well... It's a shame that we're not using this technology on the iPad as well. Where's a place that's not the lock screen where we could put this glanceable information? And maybe at some point they could say, what if on the iPad we thought about it we thought about this in a different way and we put those glanceable widgets, I don't know, in a new status bar hmm. or somewhere else, like in control center, I don't know, some new place of the OS where as you're working, you can glance at information. I don't know. Maybe it's just a thought, but I really, I right now, I don't really see the value for putting data on the iPad lock screen, but maybe there's a way to reuse that technology in the future in another place. I don't think this is what they'll do, but I suddenly had a flashback to, I guess it was iOS 8, where Apple put your favorite contacts <laughs> in, the, in the app switcher. <laughs> Did that feature ship at all? Yeah, I think it did. It, I think it did. Yeah. What a weird time that was. Yeah. And that <laughs> was, <laughs> that was, wasn't that about the same time where they were pitching the, oh God, there was a location tab in the app store where you could discover apps based on where you were? Uh-huh. Oh yeah, that was a, that was a, a time for sure. There were some weird <laughs> ideas floating around in yeah. 2014. Yeah. Uh, this episode of Connected is made possible by Squarespace. I want to tell you a story this week. My kids go to an elementary school. Well, only one does now because my kids are getting older. But a few years ago, the parent-teacher organization got a hold of me because they needed to build a website for the organization, you know, volunteering, getting parents involved, that sort of thing. And they thought, he's a guy who knows about computers. Let's get him to build us a website. And I immediately turned to Squarespace to build this because I knew I wanted something where they could update it over time, right? As new initiatives happen, new projects, new new parents and people are involved. And uh, so we built it on Squarespace. It looks awesome and it's really easy to edit for them. And it's just been such a, such a great thing for that organization to be able to uh, really easily share and update people 
about what's uh, what's going on. I chose Squarespace for a bunch of reasons. Uh, first of all, it's just really easy to get started. You pick a great looking template, you customize it with your colors and logos and typefaces, and you can really have something built really pretty quickly. And they can sell stuff online. So they're selling t-shirts and masks and all sorts of things right through the online store that's just built into Squarespace. They didn't have to go out and and bolt something else on, it's all just there ready to go. And it means they don't have to learn some other system. If you're looking to build a website, you need to start with Squarespace and you can get a free trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com connected. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code connected to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name. Once again, that's squarespace.com connected. And we decide to sign up, use the offer code CONNECTED, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting CONNECTED and all of Relay FM. I want to talk about MacBook Pros with you, Federico. Okay. Are you excited to pre-order the 13-inch MacBook Pro on Friday? I pre-ordered one. <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> That's not a computer you, you should get. For, you thought about it for a second, and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> Wait, is it? Wait, no, it doesn't open till Friday. Yeah, so this is the uh, apparently the second best-selling laptop in the world. <laughs> sure, sure. And uh, our friend Jason has an article over at MacWorld. We'll put that in the in the show notes. Kind of building the case of why this machine still exists, and it basically comes down to it's probably really cheap for Apple to build at this point. This is a design, mind you, that originated. Really in 2016. And of course, it got mm-hmm. tweaked with the new keyboard, but it's effectively it's effectively the same computer that's been around a really long time. And Apple can sell it at $12.99, $11.99 for education. And it does offer, while not massive, some improvements over the MacBook Air in terms of performance, especially sustained performance, because it does have active cooling. It has a single fan in there where the MacBook Air, of course, is fanless. And for people who do want the touch bar, it is the the sole machine that still has the touch bar. It's gone from everywhere else. But I think really critically, it is about the price point. If somebody wants a MacBook Pro, they can do that without jumping up to a $2,000 14-inch machine. And I think as we get into some of the other MacBook Pro rumors I want to talk about, I think holding the price point is probably the most important thing here. Even though you can spec a MacBook Air and it can cost like over $2,000. Like if you load up an M2 MacBook Air, which will ship next month, you can spend a lot of money. This does give them, you know, a foothold uh, in that lower price that's something beyond just the MacBook Air. I mean, if if the only laptop they had under two grand was the MacBook Air, like I can see why Apple, why they wouldn't want that, right? And I, th- I guess that's fair. Boy, I'm really, I'm really confused by this computer. Honestly, like, uh, mostly like, I un- like, I think I understand the reasons why this computer is still around. I still don't think it, it's a good look for Apple to have this computer. I understand that, yeah, you gotta hit a price point and everything, but like, it's a confusing message to have this old generation of what apple thinks of a you know a, a, a mac laptop that has the old design but as an m2 
It's like, yeah, it's the old one, and we actually make much better ones now, but look, it's got an M2. And so I'm, I'm worried that a bunch of people are going to say, hey, it's got the M2 that sounds better than M1, and it's cheap. So I'm just gonna get this one. Yeah. And maybe you know, maybe that's okay. I mean, it's not gonna be, it's not gonna be a terrible computer. Like it's not gonna be a, a bad computer. But the thing is, Apple makes other MacBook Pros or MacBooks with an M series chip that are so much better than what this computer is in terms of I/O, in terms of keyboard, in terms of design, in terms of battery life. So I don't know. I like I understand. Like this is a classic classic tim cook apple move right um definitely it's i i i cannot get excited about this thing yeah the the confusion or possible confusion because this actually isn't out yet and i don't think we know how normal people think about it yet that there's an m2 but the more expensive one has m1 in the name yeah that, that was inevitable when they chose this naming scheme Right, like, say mm-hmm. what you will about Intel, and there's lots to say. Core i3, i5, i7, and then a generation number was like pretty easy to understand. And most people didn't even know the generation number. And in fact, Apple downplayed it over the years more and more, especially in a world where Apple doesn't share the clock speeds. Most people just walk in, it's like, oh, the M2 must be better than the M1 Pro or whatever that is. And I mean, maybe in some very specific cases it is. Like, it is probably faster single-core speed. I I expect that we're just, like, days away from actually getting real benchmarks out of this machine. Mm -hmm. But to your point, the M1 Pro in the 14-inch machine is, like, that's a way better computer. Like, the 14-inch MacBook Pro is just, I mean, it's basically perfect. Yep. But it costs $700, $800 more. And I don't think Apple's willing to have just one computer in the thousand dollar, you know, price tier. And so maybe it is, look, I think if they were planning on keeping this machine around, the very least they would have given it max safe, right? Like they didn't even do that. Like there, it is exactly the same chassis. And so mm-hmm. my feeling is that this is not the long-term play here. And, but in the meantime, it means that there will be people who buy it and probably people who like it. I mean, we hear from people who definitely dig, um, dig the touch, touch bar, bar life you know there's a uh, touch bar truthers out there for sure touch bar truthers so let's <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about what could go in this place in the future so there are rumors of a 12 inch machine for like late 23 or maybe even 2024 of course powered by apple silicon as is bloomberg reporting this uh we'll have some some links in the show notes to this there's also more recently a friend of the show, Ming Chi Kuo, talking about a 15 inch machine. Mm. Uh, you know, we have talked before about the idea of a 15 inch MacBook Air. Hmm. We've talked a lot about that on like Mac Power users, for instance. A lot of people seem pretty hip to the idea of like a cheaper, bigger laptop, but maybe one of those fits in there. It's interesting. Uh, you you had this in your notes. Like, what what if this fifteen inch computer could be something like a MacBook Studio? Right. And I think I think it's interesting to consider the potential scenario in which Apple says, "Okay, in twenty twenty two, we introduced the first Studio product in our lineup, and in twenty twenty three, we're expanding the Studio." lineup to more devices. So we're going to have a MacBook Studio and we're going to have an iPad Studio. And the iPad Studio being the rumored 14-inch one. That's an interesting uh, 
scenario, I think, in which Apple could say we are now at we're, we now have sort of baseline iPad, MacBook, you know, iPhone. We have the Pro line, MacBook Pro, iPad Pro, iPhone Pro, and we have the Studio line, which is now Mac Studio. MacBook Studio and iPad Studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, now the question is, are they going to do iPhone Studio? I don't think they are. <laughs> so, well, okay, kind of wild thought, but maybe the iPhone Studio is the name of the foldable device. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> I said it first. So you did. Then, you know. We do have some real-time follow-up. Apparently, just this morning, Geekbench scores came out for the M2. Okay, and it is in line with what Apple said about being, you know. 20% faster, whatever they said about CPU. So like single core score is definitely higher than the M, the base M1. And the multi-score is a little bit better too, but it's not it's not catching the um, the more powerful M1s in terms of multi-core, right? They just thrash it. Okay. But single speed, single core, it is it is faster. But again, that's what Apple said. So it's it's in line with what Apple previewed when they introduced the M2 to begin with. So in practice, what, what what is this gonna mean for like regular people who mostly use single core stuff? It's gonna be faster. Uh, it's gonna well, the battery is gonna last a bit more. Yeah. Um, Safari is snappier, you know, the the, the usual. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 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 It's not. It's. I don't think it's like a. I mean, the move from Intel to Apple Silicon is like a one-time thing, right? And now we're just kind of back in the world of things slowly get better over time. Mm-hmm. But be, between. You know, let's say we have to pick a 12-inch ultra portable, or a 15-inch MacBook Air, or uh, MacBook Studio, because part of the rumor is it could get the M2 Pro in like an upper level. I tend to think the 15-inch is a little bit better of a plan. I know, like people in our audience, like mm. I think way more heavily towards smaller machines. Oh, but if I'm you look one at, of those people. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm leaning toward like a super small MacBook. If they try that again, man, that's gonna be sweet to have. Like, a, like I know that Steve Jobs said netbooks aren't better at anything, but I also always thought that the 11-inch MacBook Air from back in the day was amazing. So I kind of want to get the small MacBook. Yeah, and there's room, I guess, for all of it. And Apple could just have like seven laptops for sale, but mm. I feel like the uh, like if you look at the broader PC market, there's definitely a market for like cheaper, lower end devices with bigger screens. And they're doing that with the phone, according to the rumors this year, right? Like getting rid of the mini is going to be the iPhone and iPhone Pro. But then there's a max version of each as well. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's interesting. I think in reality, Apple's experimenting with all sorts of things. And we we're just hearing about it way earlier than normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we talk about the dog cow? Yeah, we can. We have to. We have to. We have to. There's a lot of backstory here. I'm going to leave a link in the show notes to this big thing I wrote years ago, giving like the full history. But basically, it's like this little bit of Mac history. This glyph was part of an original typeface by Susan Kerr. It looks like a dog, looks like a cow. So we got the name Dog Cow. And then over the years, Apple employees wrote like help documentation, giving her a name. So her name was Claris, talking about where she lives. I got to interview some of those people for this piece, which was really cool. And it slowly just kind of faded away as Apple sort of lost a lot of its personality in the, you know, Steve Jobs 2.0 era, right? They sort of got rid of a lot of the the silly things. Mm-hmm. Over the years, it 
slowly started coming back in like Swift documentation. And then there was a sticker pack. And now the big news is in macOS Ventura, in the print preview screen, the dog cow is present, which is where it lived initially. So if you go to print a page, it shows you if it's portrait or landscape or whatever. And there's this new version of Claris. It's not all 8-bit retro looking. It's like kind of rounded. This is a retina Claris. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. That's right. It looks great. Apparently, yeah. this was previewed in a wallpaper article. Remember that when they like interviewed designers and there, there's Ooh, apparently a yeah. photo and there's like this Claris like on the wall, like taped up on the wall with a bunch of other design stuff, which is wild. <laughs> but it's back. And I think that's a lot of fun because I like personality in my computers. And I've got a dog cow tattoo for people who don't know. I'm very into this like little corner of Apple history. And now it's Apple present again, which is great. Are you going to get a retina version of the tattoo as well? No, no People ask me. I mean, as I get older, it will slowly sort of, as the tattoo softens with time, it will slowly turn into the new version. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's not going to be pixelated anymore. Yeah. So it's slowly, you know, evolving on my ankle over the course of, you know, decades to uh, to be the new, be the new Claris. I'm very happy for you. Honestly, like when, when I saw this, I thought of you immediately. So, which is funny that you, as an internet personality, are tied to a fictional creature. <laughs> right. Um, but, but hey, you know, it's great. Uh, it, it's a funny bit of Apple lore, I think. I, I'm, in, I'm, I'm in favor of this. Like, Apple should, like, uh, we always say on the show, Apple should do more weird things. And mm-hmm. this is one of those funny, weird things from Apple history that I'm super glad to see back in the latest OSs. More of this. Like, I want to see more self-aware Apple that throws in these references. And they've done this from time to time with, like, some of the icons. What was it? Like, the the default document icon as the, you know, here's to the crazy ones uh, text. You know, they do these things from time to time. They should do it more often. You know, weird Apple... As a bunch of great moments from its history, and they should throw in those references. References are fun. They are. So why not? Why not? Get some. Give us some more Warren Buffett paper games. You know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there'll be a Claris adventure game in Apple Arcade at some point. That would be fun. Claris Paper Wizard. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's really good. Congratulations, everybody. She's back. I mean, this seems like a really good reason to put a macOS beta on your production machine. Right. Just go for it. No, don't do that. That's a bad idea. <laughs> are you are you running the macOS beta? No, 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 no. Good. I'm running the watchOS beta. <laughs> <laughs> How's that? It's mostly fine. Uh, look, it's mostly fine. Like, I, I've had more problems uh, with iOS and iPadOS. Tons yeah. of problems with iPadOS. Yes. But watchOS, it's okay. It's got the new look for notifications. They look fun. Uh, they have this pill-shaped banner that comes in, comes in when you get a notification. Uh, I haven't really noticed anything else. Oh, there's a new solid color watch face, which I think looks cool. I want to make a yellow watch face now. That'd be cool. But yeah, the watch, the watch is fine so far. iPadOS is the worst one. I had this bug uh, with Obsidian, which I was using a lot, obviously, because I was taking notes for my review. 
and the entire app was half covered by this empty keyboard area even though i was using a hardware keyboard <laughs> i had to go in i had to to quote unquote fix this, I had to go into um, keyboard settings and disable the shortcuts and predictive toggles. And then I went into the Obsidian Discord and I filed the feedback and I sent a screenshot, be like, hey, this is what happens when you run on iPadOS 16. Uh, this, by the way, it's not just about Obsidian. I think a ton of apps, a ton of iPad apps, especially if, if they're not using the latest sort of modern iPad conventions for multitasking, for the scene technology that powers multi-window, you're going to have problems this fall with iPadOS 16 with the floating mode of Stage Manager. So if you make an iPad app or you have an iPad version of your iPhone app and maybe you haven't really spent the time there over the past couple of years to update it for, I don't know, multi-window, scenes, uh, split view, drag and drop, now is a good time to do it because your thing is not going to break with iPadOS 16, but it's not going to be fun. So yeah, that would be my advice. So Justin Hamilton has made a dog cow game. Not since I said that, but this is in the past and I'd forgotten about it. So you play the dog cow and you like jump around and you want to eat original IMAX and avoid being eaten by the Vista logo. Oh my God, I'm playing now. Yeah, I'm it's jumping. really good. There's music. It's old Mac OS startup music. Oh my God, you can you can jump and... Okay, I just ate an iMac. It's good. This is incredible, Justin. It's so good. Why is this game not on the iPhone? Probably because of copyright. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean it's the whole thing's over a leopard screenshot that I made, so it's it's gonna be questionable. Yeah. Oh, did you see that the upper levels like they look like the uh, everything looks like the aqua scroll bars? Yes. Oh yes. no, I hit a Vista logo. Okay, yeah. everyone needs to uh, spend time and play this game because it is fantastic. This episode of Connected is made possible by Clean My Mac X. You want to make sure that you can trust your Mac. It's a crucial tool for work, education, and life. MacPaw is on a mission to help your machine help you, which is why they developed Clean My Mac X, an ideal decluttering app for the Mac that can help keep it in tip-top shape. Clean My Mac X includes 49 tools to find and delete invisible computer junk. It helps to tune up your Mac so it runs at maximum speed, plus it organizes disk space, showing you large hidden folders, meaning you can free up tons of space, so your Mac never runs into issues with its storage. It fights Mac-specific malware and adware and protects your computer and prevents a Mac from cluttering, lagging, and slowing down. It's notarized by Apple and is available in the Mac App Store, so it's been checked for security, and it really stands out in design. It looks fantastic. In 2021 alone, Clean My Mac was honored with the Red Dot Award, UX Design Award, and has even become a Webby Award nominee this year. You can get Clean My Mac X today for 5% off at macpaw.app slash connected. This account's only valid for two weeks, so jump on it. macpaw.app slash connected for 5% off. And there's, of course, a link in the show notes. And one final note, despite the war in MacPaw's home country of Ukraine, the team have worked hard to make sure there are no disruptions in support and development of Clean My Mac X. Their product is stable, safe, and secure. And a personal note, I got to hang out with these folks at WBDC, and it was so good to see them. Our thanks to Clean My Mac X for their support of the show and Relay FM. We have ourselves a gate. <laughs> yeah, S stage gate. Stage stage gate. 
Stagegate. I was gonna go with manager gate, but stage gate's way more fun to say. Yeah, man- manager gate sounds like a workplace issue, so that's that's not. Ooh, fun. oh yeah, let's avoid that. Uh, <laughs> so tell us what's going on with the uh, the hubbub around stage manager and the M1. Yes. So okay. So um, the context here obviously is that stage manager, the new multitasking feature for macOS Ventura and iPadOS. On the iPad side of things, it's going to be available on the M1 iPads only. That would be the 2021 iPad Pro and the 2022 iPad Air, which also has the M1 system on a chip. Uh, last week, when we talked about this and we mentioned, oh, there's a few people that are very upset about Stage Manager being only available on the 2021 iPad Pro. And I said that I didn't like the attitude of some people on the internet. And I specifically said, how can you know that uh, Stage Manager as a feature could be supported on older hardware? That would be the main argument from this group of iPad users if you don't work at Apple, if you're not an engineer. Now, I don't, like, I said that, but... I also want to say that I've been doing a lot of reading over the past week. That episode we recorded uh, two days after the keynote. But I, like sometimes I say things, and I don't want to say that I regret saying those things, but uh, like I, I love changing my opinion, okay? And I, and I love... See, this is why people love Mike. This is why people love Mike, exactly. What I'm saying is, is that I continue to believe that a lot of people on Reddit and on Twitter have the wrong approach when it comes to thinking you know when you're what you're talking about by saying oh i can tell you for sure that stage manager could work on older ipads that's the the main point that i take issue with which is you unless you really work on craig federigas team you can't really know but i've been doing a lot of reading and you know spending time on reddit on Twitter, checking out the emails that I received from people. Thank you for getting in touch with me. Like, this is not sarcastic at all. Like, I love when people get in touch with me and tell me, here's why you're wrong. Like, that's one of the best things of having a career on the internet, having people reach out to you and tell you you're wrong. I understand the issue here. And I kind of want to talk about it on the show and try to tackle this with all the possible arguments that we could have in favor of bringing Stage Manager to older iPads and against bringing Stage Manager to older iPads. The additional context that we require is the fact that Apple has been giving some interviews over the past week, sort of, uh, I assume, trying to not only explain the iPadOS story, but also trying to do some damage control, you know? Um, This is not unusual for Apple to do this when they announce something that is potentially controversial with a part of the community trying to explain their thinking and in this case we have interviews um there's one on TechCrunch uh, with Matthew Panzerino interviewed Craig Federighi went into the details of stage manager we can get into those in a couple of minutes uh but yeah that's the context a ton of people if you just open Twitter and search for stage manager or if you go to Reddit to the iPad or the Apple subreddits there's thousands of people who are between annoyed, like it covers the full spectrum. Some of them are annoyed, some of them are really upset, 
Some of them are calling Apple and Federighi an, an outright liar when it comes to stage manager. So I'm trying, to, I'm trying to understand here what the problem is. And I tweeted yesterday. I have this poll going on Twitter. Let me open this tweet and let's look at these poll results. It's been, uh, let's see, there's an hour left in this poll. So I tweeted, thought experiment. Let's say Apple listens to users and backtracks on stage manager being M1 iPad only. But there's a catch. No external display support and limited to three apps on the iPad Pro, starting with the 2018 model and later. How would you feel about this scenario? And I had three potential answers. Yes, I'll take it. No, I'm still upset. And, question, and answer number three, I'll just buy a new iPad. As of right now, we have one hour left into this poll on Twitter. We have just short of 2,000 votes. Uh, it's 1962 votes. So it's a pretty good sample, yeah. I think, of, of users. 60%, to be specific, 59.7% of people said, yes, I'll take it. 13.6% said, no, I'm still upset. And 26.6%, and as I'm, as I'm speaking, the numbers changed slightly. <laughs> uh, but 26.6% said, I'll just buy a new iPad. So effectively, you have 60% of people saying, give me stage manager on the older iPad, even if it's limited. 13% saying, I'm very upset about this. And 26% 26, 26 saying, I don't care about this controversy. I'll just get a new iPad. Let's start with the arguments in favor, maybe, of bringing stage manager to older iPads. The main argument, I think, and actually, again, for context, uh, I do this all the time. Whenever there's something that involves people, I turn to Sylvia because Sylvia has a much better pulse than I do on what the average folk think about these kinds of things. Because, and I got to come clean here. This is one of my limitations as a guy who writes about technology on the internet. And, you know, I try review units and I talk to Apple. One of my weaknesses is it's sometimes I have the kind of tunnel vision where I'm, I'm always in favor of progress. I'm always in favor of the new, right? I always want to get the latest iPhone. I always want to get the latest iPad because it's my job and because I'm also a fan of these machines and I like using them. So my perspective is I don't care. I'm always want to get the I'm always going to get the latest device because it's part of what I do. So, and but that's one of my limits. That's one of my weaknesses because I can easily and I think this is actually quite common in all of us, but I can quite easily lose track of what the average, in this case, iPad user who doesn't want to upgrade an iPad every year may think of this limitation. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I'll say is this. Let's say that in 2020, during the pandemic, during the lockdowns, you bought an iPad Pro. You bought an iPad Pro in 2020. Apple had all the advertisements saying the iPad Pro, powerful machine, it's your computer replacement. Uh, they released the magic keyboard, right? Uh, yeah. with, the, with, the, with the pointer. And you're like, oh, great. They're now selling the iPad Pro as a laptop replacement. And you have this great modular machine. And it's got the A12Z system on a chip. It's more powerful than the A12X. Great. Now, after two years, 
Apple is telling you, uh, well, actually, that computer that you bought two years ago is not going to be good enough to run this brand new flavor of multitasking that's going to make your iPad Pro so much more powerful than before. And I can imagine that if you're one of those people, and again, keep in mind my, my, limit, my limits here, right? My, my limited perspective, I haven't used the 2020 iPad Pro in two years, mm-hmm. but there's still plenty of people who do. There's a lot of 2018 ones running around too, the first one with Face ID. Yes, exactly, because it was the first one with Face ID, and it was the first one with the new design with the liquid retina display. And these iPads, they can last you for a very long time. They're great machines, they're very durable, they're very reliable, um, and the upgrade cycle of an iPad, and especially an iPad Pro, which is a big purchase, if you want to buy an iPad Pro and a Magic Keyboard and an Apple Pencil, you know, you're easily spending, what, uh, $1,300, $1,500, depending on your configuration. These are machines that are supposed to last you a long time. So I can imagine, if I were to put myself in that perspective, that I'm going to be upset, that I'm going to be wait, I bought this computer two years ago and now it's not good enough for this new kind of multitasking. And there was this great tweet from Andrew Cunningham. Andrew writes at Ars Technica. Uh, And I'm going to read you this tweet. Uh, My feelings on, on this are complicated, but too long didn't read. It's not unreasonable to expect a 14-month-old $1,000-plus computer to support new OS features. And if Apple couldn't do that, they should have designed the feature differently. This, I think, really encapsulates the problem. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a crazy argument to make. No, I don't either. So if you spend that kind of money on a computer that is pitched to you as a new generation of computer that has a keyboard with a trackpad and a pointer and USB-C and all these great features, it's not wild to be annoyed at the notion that now it's not good enough anymore for new multitasking. And so if you're Apple, you maybe the question would be, was there really any other way? Like, I get it, that you're saying that in, the, in this version, stage manager wouldn't work on anything prior to the M1. But then the question becomes, is the problem actually how you design stage manager? Right. Right? It, it, it's not like they built this and then they were suddenly surprised, like, oh no, it needs an M- M1. Yeah, Who did exactly. this? <laughs> Ex- exactly. Like, oh no, we released an iPad in 2020. Like, I mean... And especially considering the context of 2020, we were all stuck at home. Apple sold a bunch of iPads that year. And yeah. I mean, there's the numbers to back it up. The iPad and the iPad Pro has been trending up. So it's it's not like I got to say to those people, you know, I, I guess I'm sorry for making fun of you last week. But in thinking about this and, and talking over with Sylvia, like it's not wild to expect that that kind of purchase would support the latest features of iPadOS. The second argument, virtual memory swap. So Apple said, uh, in this, for example, in this TechCrunch interview, uh, Federighi uh, really uh, mentioned three main factors when it comes to stage manager being only available on the M1 iPads. And uh, by the way, for those not aware, stage manager, you can run up to four concurrent apps on the iPad display and four 
more apps or app windows, I guess, on an external display. So a total of eight apps running at the same time. Yeah, because they're they're separated now. Unlike before, where an external display was mostly just a mirror, this is now like independent instances of stage manager, basically. So Federighi mentioned the, and I'm going to go, I I don't want to read the whole thing, but basically the high DRAM capacity, uh, the high performance NAND uh, that allows the virtual memory swap to be super fast. Uh, So memory issue. Uh, IO, so the M1 is the only one that can support, you know, it's got the Thunderbolt port and it can drive 4K, 5K and 6K displays. And the third factor being the GPU. So uh, Federighi said, we really designed Stage Manager to take full advantage of the M1. If you look at the way the apps tilt and shadow and how they animate in and out while hitting a super high frame rate across large displays and multiple displays that requires the peak of graphics performance that you know other iPads do not have and I understand like I 100% believe this technical explanation personally I believe that in this flavor of stage manager Apple tried to make it work on older iPads and it sucked. Like I buy that personally. Mm-hmm. I think that's true. But it's there's an interesting detail about the virtual memory swap part of this explanation. Uh, friend of the show, uh, Steve Trottensmith, noted on Twitter that the virtual memory swap is only supported actually on the iPad Air M1 with the 256 gigs of storage. (laughs) The 64 gig iPad Air with M1 does not support virtual memory swap, but it has stage manager. So if it can have stage manager without virtual memory swap, at least one of the three factors that Federighi mentioned does not necessarily apply, right? Because if the iPad Air with M1 and 64 gigs can use Stage Manager without virtual memory swap, it goes without saying that you can potentially design Stage Manager without state without virtual memory swap, because you're actually doing it on one of the iPads that you currently sell. So that's an interesting detail. Also, I was thinking about this. Like, it's not unusual for uh, Apple to sort of gate certain features to modern hardware. And I get it, like especially when it comes to the camera, when it comes to the neural engine, you have these very specific and very advanced features that you physically cannot have on older hardware. Like you want to have portrait photos on a device that doesn't have a particular lens, like it's actually impossible to do it, mm-hmm. like to, to simplify. But in this case, we're talking about a feature that, the iPad user base has been requesting for a long time better multitasking and external display integration, right? So I was thinking about this and I, and I had this other thought experiment. Like imagine if in 2011, when Apple rebranded the Expose and Spaces on the Mac as Mission Control, Imagine if they said, we're launching Mission Control, it's a much better way to multitask on Mac OS X, but it only works on your 2010 Macs and later. Like, imagine if that 2011 feature was only available on a computer from the year before, yeah. from 2010. Bad news. That was not the <laughs> bad news, but that was not the case. 
They designed Mission Control to work, and I checked, and correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen, but it worked on Macs from, from 2007 and later. So you have this four-year grace period. Yeah, anything that ran, because that came with, uh, came with OS X Lion, and so anything that ran Lion could run that feature. Yeah, exactly. I, I have more, more facts and, 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 and details here to consider. Uh, the 2020 iPad Pro, which is really the, the, the culprit here, right? I think I would get if I, I personally, I, like, I think if you backport this feature, you should also backport it to the 2018 iPad Pro. But let's focus on the 2020 iPad Pro. So the fourth gen iPad Pro. That iPad Pro had the A12Z system on a chip. We're going to talk about this later in a few minutes. And six gigs of RAM. And then you could say, aha, that's the problem, right? You only have six gigs of RAM. But remember that the 2021 iPad Pro, so the one with the M1, not all, you may, you may say, oh, I know that the iPad Pro with the M1 has 16 gigs of RAM. That's not actually the case for all models. It's just the one and two terabyte models that have 16 gigs of RAM. Because the 2021 iPad Pro in the 128, 256, and 512 gig configurations, those have eight gigs of RAM. <laughs> so it's, it's only two gigabytes more. And so this is another of those tweets and threads that I've seen of like, come on, for two gigabytes of RAM, you couldn't make it happen? Again, I don't know, but it's, it's, it's interesting to consider that we may think by default that the 2021 iPad Pro has 16 gigs of RAM. That's not true because some models, they have eight gigs of RAM. The other the, sort of the broader argument, I think, is, and this is another thing that I've seen um, in a lot of tweets. Um, if the iPad, if the 2018, let's go, let's go you know, deeper into the past. If the 2018 iPad Pro can run three apps at the same time, two in split view and one in slide over, why couldn't you design Stage Manager in a way that you are upselling people onto the M1 iPad Pro? And it's got all the bells and whistles. It's got all the nice graphics. It's got all the animations. It supports four apps on the iPad, four apps on the display. Like, that's the best version of Stage Manager. But why couldn't you do a limited version of Stage Manager for older hardware? Mm -hmm. There is precedent for this being the case. And like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, like, this is not fiction. This is all history. This is all Apple history. In 2015, so, you know, going back in time, in 2015, Apple announced iOS 9 at WWDC. iOS 9 featured Split View and Slide Over. Split View was exclusive to the second generation iPad Air from 2014. So you may say, yeah, that's what they're doing this year as well. That feature is only for the iPad from the year before. That is true. But in 2015, Apple also found a compromise. And the compromise was, if you don't have an iPad Air 2, but you have an iPad Air 1 from 2013, so two years before, you're not going to get split view, but you're going to get slide over. And they did that. They actually did that. In 2015, they had new multitasking, 
but it was available in two flavors. The best one for the folks who had an iPad Air 2 and the limited one for folks who had an iPad Air 1 and only slideover was available. So history teaches that Apple has done it before, limiting features and taking a part of something, making it available on the older hardware. So to sum up this segment, I guess the question would be, like I said, I buy and I believe the technical explanation that in this version of Stage Manager, it, it wouldn't work on iPads without the M1. And I believe them. There's a few details worth considering, like the virtual memory swap, but broadly speaking, I believe it. But my question to sum this up would be, how many existing iPad users are you willing to upset over this? How many of those people who bought an iPad Pro in 2020 are you willing to annoy and maybe lose you know, the, the, the customer set over by saying, no, you don't get stage manager at all, not even in a limited fashion? That would, that would be my question for, the, you know, for, for this part of the argument. Yeah, the iOS 9 example is just so interesting. I had forgotten about it, but you uh, you brought it back to to mind. And one common refrain from those days was, "Wow, the iPad hardware is so far ahead of the, out of the software." Right? I mean, that was something we talked about with the iPad Air two specifically. And then a year later, we see, "Oh, iOS nine is bringing this new multitasking." It's been the case for the iPad. Pro really ever since. And, and I, I would argue the iPad Air as well. Like these things are so powerful and you're cutting off a bunch of really good iPads. To me, I think there's some clear places where they could find that compromise this year. And after reading all this stuff you put together and listening to you, like, I think this is the way they should go. I think they should find a way to bring a simpler version of Stage Manager to these older devices. And I, and I got to say, I may be leaning that way too now. Because my, like I said, that's one of my weaknesses. Uh, because I'm always in favor of progress. I always tend to say, whatever, I don't care about old stuff anymore. It's all about the new. It's always about the new, you know? Reminds me of that great line from Mad Men. When Don Draper says, you know, the, the concept of new, he creates mm -hmm. this itch. And I have that itch, right? It's new. And I'm always in favor of the new. But in reading more and remembering my own history, it's actually funny because a bunch of people from my Discord send me links to my own stories from seven years ago. Like, hey, you actually wrote about this. Like, yeah, th that, that, that's ancient iPad history, but that's what they did. But in reading more about this, I may be leaning that way too. But let's talk about why Apple shouldn't do it, right? Why shouldn't they bring Stage Manager to older iPads? So first of all, there's the technical explanation. Apple said, we tried and we would really love to do it, but it wouldn't work. And if there's a company that the track record, again, this is not opinion, this is facts. If there's a company that cares about keeping your hardware in a workable state via software updates, that's Apple. I mean, we were complaining about the Apple Watch 3 being still supported in the latest version of WatchOS. The iPhone 6S 
can run iOS 15, I believe. Yeah. Obviously, in a very limited fashion. But if there's a company that's going to give you know the value back to you, usually that's Apple. Mm-hmm. And if Apple says, look, we tried and it didn't work, I mean, what, you're not going to believe them? And I mean, sure, you could say, oh, that's Tim Cook's Apple. They want to sell you on a more expensive iPad. But you got to believe that you know they have a lot of smart people working on this stuff. I know many of those smart people. And if they said this version wouldn't work, then it wouldn't work. And if they said we tried and the performance wasn't there, then the performance wasn't there. Uh, one argument that I saw from people this week was, uh, oh, but the Mac DTK, the developer transition kit, it had the same A12Z system on a chip from the 2020 iPad Pro. Therefore, why does the 2020 iPad Pro with the same A12Z chip, why is it not supported with Stage Manager? The difference to keep in mind there is that I believe the DTK, the Mac Mini DTK with the A12Z chip, it had 16 gigs of RAM. So you know that's a, that's a convenient detail to omit when you're when you're talking about this stuff. It had double the RAM of even the base model 2021 iPad Pro. The broader argument, and I already mentioned how um, what I what I said about iOS 9 applies both in favor and against this because yeah, they brought slide over to the older hardware, but also split view was gated to the 2014 iPad, iPad Air. Like, and there was no way that that could have worked. Like, they did it, brand new feature that everybody wanted, but that was 2014 and later only. The broader argument here, I think, is... I think it's funny. And you can see how, like, I have opinions in both camps at this point. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny that last year we were all saying, oh, M1 iPad Pro, why put this powerful chip in it if you don't have the software that takes advantage of it? And now they did, and we're complaining about the opposite. Right. Which I, th- which I think is, is a funny scenario to be in. Like, hey, like Apple must be saying, hey, isn't this what you wanted? When, when you know, there were articles and articles, including my own, like including my own review of the, of the 2021 iPad Pro saying, why like it was literally titled future on standby i still remember that like i said this m1 is effectively useless on the ipad pro because it's doing nothing to take advantage of it you still have split view and slide over and picture in picture i guess now they have now they are taking advantage of of the m1 and so i think it's funny that you know whatever they do they're gonna be they're gonna do the wrong thing for some people. Mm-hmm. So there's also the thing to consider. Um, and I guess th- there's the fact that you cannot always, always optimize for old hardware. At some point, if you have an idea, and this is the progressive side of me speaking, right? At some point, if you have an idea, you just gotta go for it. If it's only and if it's only viable on new hardware, you cannot always optimize for the past, right? Otherwise, you end up like Windows, <laughs> having to support you know decades of computers, and that's not usually how Apple operates. They give you years of backward compatibility, but not forever. You don't want to end up in that scenario. You brought up the phone, which I think is by far the best example. But anytime you move the hardware requirements at all, you're going to hurt people, right? I mean, I I just heard from somebody 
just the day whose iMac is going to get cut off from Ventura. It's like, how long should I stay on Monterey? It's like, well, you'll get a couple years of security updates, but there's always it's always a moving target, right? And if you aim too far back, then you can't really push the ball forward on the front end, right? Like, I don't envy anyone who has to try to, like, make those decisions about what comes to what hardware. Because this whole week has been an example, like, what happens if you choose wrong or people think you chose wrong, right? So here we are, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. We have arguments in favor of bringing Stage Manager to older iPads and against doing it. And I, I think, to wrap this up, I think if you're Apple... It comes down to two things, maybe. It comes down to what is technically right and what is right for the customer, right? Um, I feel like in, in reading about this, talking about this with someone who's not like me, someone who, I mean, Sylvia is using an iPad from years ago and she, she held on to her MacBook Pro for six years or something. She's total opposite of me. I am leaning toward maybe, like I get it, that this version of Stage Manager is M1 only. Keep it. Keep it that way. This fancy version of Stage Manager with the beautiful animations, with four apps, with external monitor support, keep it M1 only. It's totally fair. But I'm also leaning toward, hey, maybe this summer you can figure out a way to bring some of the benefits of Stage Manager to older iPads. Because, yeah, the the fancy flavor of it, it's not technically the right thing to do. You don't want to do it just because people are asking and you're going to give them a bad experience. I don't think anybody is asking Apple to give customers a bad experience. But I think it's also right. I don't want to say, I don't want to say morally right. Because, hey, this is a company, this is a business who cares about morals, right? Apple likes to say that they do, but that's a different argument. Um, But, you know, you have customers, and maybe the right thing to do is we're going to try and give you a limited version of Stage Manager, just like you did in in 2015 with new multitasking. You're not going to get split view, but we can give you slide over. Maybe that's a good compromise. And in the Stage Manager era, the equivalent of that could be, look, you're not going to get four apps. You're not going to get the external display integration. We're sorry, but it's, not, it's just not going to work. But what we can do is we can give you three apps at the same time. And maybe you're going to see fewer apps on the left side. And maybe you're not going to get some of the fancy 3D animations. But you're going to be able to use three apps at the same time instead of four just on the iPad and resize them. Looking at the numbers from this poll on Twitter, looking at the general sentiment, looking at history, looking at the arguments in favor and against, I think maybe that could be the optimal solution for the summer. I agree. I think in particular, the external display support seems like a really easy way to cut the pie. I mean, Mm -hmm. how many, like, first of all, how many users are actually going to like really dive into that? It's probably a very small number. Exactly. And if you're that type of user, chances are you got the M1 iPad Pro immediately last year. Right, right. So that seems fine place for me, as does three apps, because really that puts, that still puts you ahead of slide over and split view now, where like 
you have two apps and one comes in over the top, like that's kind of three apps at once, but not really. This would still be an improvement over the old system. I mean, I mm-hmm. think you've, in, in terms of compromise, I really like where you've kind of drawn this line. Of course, we don't know anything about, I mean, really what's going on technically. No, because again, I'm not an engineer. Like the same thing that I said last week applies to me as well. Like I'm just right. Uh, right. imagining things here. Right. But in terms of where could this feature be split where it still makes sense for the most number of users. Uh, I really like that. Three apps and no external display support seems like a, a really solid compromise. And, you know, just <laughs> as a side, as an aside, that 2020 iPad Pro, like the longer we get away from it, the weirder it seems, right? The A12Z mm. added <laughs> LiDAR, yeah. like no one really should have gotten that in hindsight, and now it kind of reminds me of the iPad 3. Remember that, the first Retina one? And then the iPad 4 was out like nine months later. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. that yeah. poor 2020 iPad Pro. Yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, I think there's and, middle ground to be found. And honestly, I think I think that maybe Apple's only way out of this. I mean, unless they just yeah. hold the line and just are willing to make people angry. But I would exactly. imagine that they're looking at some way to to compromise on this. Yeah. Yeah, because like I said, if you're if you're a company, if you're a business, maybe you don't necessarily care about your morals, and and I get it. But at the same time, because you're a business, you have to care about the feelings of your customers. Like maybe you don't, maybe you, the business, don't have feelings, but your customers do. And so my only concern here, and the reason why I wanted to talk about this, you have to care about how people feel about this, especially, and I know that this is not a technical discussion, but for a lot of people, this is the computer that really helped them during a time of our modern lives where everything was complicated. And I think a lot of people have a really strong attachment to the iPad Pro. And it would be a shame to upset those people without even trying a compromise. And maybe what you could do is, hey, look, we're going to try in this beta cycle in the summer, and we're going to show you what it looks like, even in a limited fashion. And if you think it sucks, we're not going to do it. And we know that Apple is capable of having these honest conversations with users. They did it last year with Safari. Very open to feedback, very open to trying things and listening. So before we take this extreme positions of like, no, Apple should never do it or Apple should do it all the way. Maybe we can find a nice middle ground where if you have an M1, you get the super fancy version. If you don't, there's a cutoff point and you get some of it. And I think it would be fair. Do you really expect any change to come? Like, I mean, you, you've, you've paid more attention to betas than almost anybody. I do. I The reason why I wanted to talk about this is that I, have the, I started having yesterday this weird feeling inside of me uh, of like, hmm, this is the kind of thing that I think is going to change this summer. I, I, I kind of have a sixth sense for these things at this point. It was like Safari. Well, not as bad as Safari last year, but, you know, I keep seeing the interviews and I keep seeing the damage control and I keep seeing the tweets and the Reddit threads. And I'm like, hmm, I'm starting to have that feeling again. And I... And I think we're, I would put it at, I don't know, 70%, maybe. That I think we're going to have this conversation again. And I do think that Apple is listening. 
to this, well, not to this segment of Connected specifically, hey, maybe some of them are, but in general, to this conversation that we're having. Um, I think there's a lot of people, like what I said last year, there's a lot of people out there who come about this with the wrong attitude, with the wrong <laughs> tweets, but I think underneath all of that, underneath all of those angry tweets, there is the core of an argument, which is, I love my iPad, right? This is what those people are saying. Those people are saying, I love my iPad. Help me continue to love my iPad by not making me feel left out. Mm -hmm. Can you find a compromise to not make me feel left out because I cannot spend $1,500 every year? It really comes down to that. Well, fingers crossed, man. I hope, I hope they find a way forward. This episode of Connected is made possible by Hover, one of Relay FM's longest-running sponsors. When you have that one big idea, where do you go? Well, your business starts with a domain name, so for many entrepreneurs, Hover is that big leap. They have over 300 domain name extensions to choose from. There's the .com, .net, but there's a lot of awesome fun ones now, too. So no matter what you're looking to build, a domain name is there waiting for you. And they have excellent technical support to answer any questions you may have because they're dedicated to getting you online, not upselling you with stuff you don't need. That means things like their design, the UX, UI, it's really simple and clean and easy to navigate. Everything is just really intuitive with Hover. Plus, they offer free, free who is privacy and monthly sales on popular top-level domains. All my domains are over at Hover, and I really can't imagine being anywhere else because if I ever have a question or a problem I can get in touch with them really easily they can walk me through the changes I need to make say to my DNS and I'm up and running quickly so buy your domain and start using it today hover.com connected is where you want to go and you'll get a 10% discount on all new purchases that URL one more time is hover.com connected make a name for yourself with hover our thanks to hover for the support of the show and relay fm so before uh, I let you go, I want to talk a little bit about the trouble of WBDC keynotes. Okay. It really struck me this time that so many of the features in iOS and iPadOS 16 and macOS Ventura are all the same feature, right? Like stage managers coming to two out of the three. Yeah, quick note everywhere. The mail changes are everywhere. And this has been a, a pattern for a while now, but this year it just really struck me. And I, I wonder if they need to be considering changing the way these presentations are done and talk more about features and less about individual product categories. So maybe they're, for instance, if we were to go back a week and remix this keynote, maybe stage manager is a section and they say, this is what it looks like on the Mac and this is what it looks like on the iPad. You know, here are productivity changes Here's what's coming in mail and Safari and that's coming to all the platforms. Do you have any thoughts on that? I didn't I, I haven't really thought about this. I I get it now though. Like I I it would be fun to to structure a keynote where it's not about platforms, it's about the features. Uh I can see hmm, I can see why Apple does it, right? Um, it's, it's historically been done this way and it gives you a very easy structure to follow, right? You're, you're talking about the watch, then the iPhone, then the iPad, then the Mac. <laughs> and TV, occasionally. Um, <laughs> Every third year. <laughs> <laughs> but 
more and more, I mean, I kind of don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Kind of have feature parity between the Mac and iPad at this point. So, like, you're talking, well, you're going to be talking about the same feature twice in two segments, whereas it could just be one segment about one feature. You know, you're going to make it shorter and the structure is going to make more sense. L- like, so many of these features now are cross- cross-platform and, yeah. and equal, right? Uh, stage manager, live text, um, the all the machine, like, visual lookup in photos, um, enhancements to shortcuts, like, reminders. Like, you have all these um, features and updates that are, you know, span the whole spectrum, of your of your platforms therefore in a keynote presentation what's the best way to convey that i could see some experimentation on this front i think i think it would actually make sense maybe they could start doing it to call out specific things and see how it goes like maybe like maybe next year they could still have the segments but there could be like some announcements could be structured here's what i'm thinking some features could be structured like they announced the accessibility features. When they announced the accessibility features before WWDC, it's not three press releases, <laughs> one for each platform. <laughs> Are you it's getting it? One pr- <laughs> it's one press release that talks about all the accessibility improvements across all platforms. Yeah. And sure, you have some specific some device-specific things like Apple Watch, for example, but you have accessibility developing on multiple fronts and most of the things are equal so i could see apples maybe with shortcuts or multitasking or safari safari would be another great contender for this like here's Mm -hmm. all the here's all the changes coming to safari and it's not an os segment it's an application or service segment right i think they should start trying this i think they should i think they should too trying to I mean, so like the, the where where it really hit me was they're showing Stage Manager in the context of macOS. I'm sitting next to David Sparks, and we look at each other and say, "That's the iPad multitasking," but we didn't know that for another 20 minutes, right? Because they got other stuff to talk about with the Mac, and I still think there would be room in this format for platform specific things. But I think you could pull out the headline features, like this year, Stage Manager being top of the list. And then maybe some of the productivity stuff, and then talk about those. And I think they would, I think they would almost stand to have better coverage because of it, right? Because then it's not so much about mm-hmm. oh, it's this way on the Mac and this way on the iPad. It's like it is one feature and it's coming to both, and it's unifying the two in this like new and interesting way that we've honestly never really seen before. Yeah, and also, like, to your point, you could also hold people's attention more with this approach. Because, like, I gotta be honest, when the watchOS segment started in, in the, in, during the keynote, I wanted to stretch my legs and I wanted to have another coffee. So I just went into the other room and, and made myself an espresso quickly. And then I went back into the bedroom and I caught up on the end of the watch segment. It's like, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I can watch this later. I don't care. You know? Yeah. So if if it was different, I could watch the whole thing. And and they did it. So there was like a backdoor pilot for this because they talked about gaming. Yes. They talked about it in context of the Mac, but the overall message was it's on the Mac because it's on the iPhone and iPad with metal, right? Like it was a half step towards this. 
And maybe that's another one. Again, if we were to go back to last week and like reshuffle the slides, maybe gaming is a top level thing. And it's focused on the Mac mostly, but then it's also about the ecosystem and like tying it all together. Yeah, I think they should I think they should do this more and more often. So we'll see. Yeah, that's I this is the kind of thing that I hadn't really considered, but as soon as you mentioned it, it's like, yeah, this makes total sense. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Like I said, try weird things. I always, like always in favor of trying different things. I mean, look, they put Craig Federighi in a in like a tracksuit and in an eighties style tracksuit. So anything is possible. Anything <laughs> That's that's the thing that's the thing about Apple. And it actually applies to to all the topics we covered today. If they want to do something, they can. Mm-hmm. Because if there's a company that can put their mind to something and be like, "Hey, got to spend a bunch of money to make this happen." I mean, they can do it. You know, all these tech companies they can, but Apple specifically, if they want to do something, they can do it. In a lot of cases. And I mean, this one is an easy one. You know, uh, change up the format of the keynote. Try it once. See how it goes. Yeah. If it doesn't go well, whatever. You're not going to do it anymore. I mean, I think one of the potential downsides is you walk away and say, oh, they didn't actually do anything for Platform <laughs> X. <laughs> there is no new... V- no, but I mean, you could reca- Like, you could have a segment that says, okay, and all these features, they're coming to the new versions of our operating systems. And yeah. they are called iOS 17, you know, and all of that. Mm-hmm. Mac OS, well, it's going to be called next year. I'm going to give you my prediction, Stephen. So, I'm opening Apple Maps. I'm searching for okay. California. <laughs> I was wondering what you were doing. <laughs> no, no, hold on. California. Ventura. Where is Ventura? Okay. So let's say uh, every year they like to start from the previous place and then they like to say, and we drove around. So if you start from Ventura, you could go up in the in the mountains maybe? Let's see. Oh man, what are these names? Pismo. Pismo is a cool name. Pismo Beach. Yeah. It was a code name for an old power book too, so there's ah, a history there. Cambria, Cambria is a great name. Oh, that is but good. It's, it's a but it's a Facebook thing, right? Cambria? Oh yeah, it's there. It's one of their headset code names, I think. You've picked uh, two Beach. code names so far. No, <laughs> Big Sur. Uh, let's see, Santa Maria, great name, but not an OS name. Uh, so from Ventura, you're gonna do Mac OS Lamont. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's look it's either going to be macOS Lamont or macOS am I even still in California here <laughs> is this Nevada hold on <laughs> cross state lines um, there buddy <laughs> uh, macOS what did I say Lamont or or mm-hmm. I can go south I'm going to go south uh, well I, I was going to say Corona you're not going to no! say Corona <laughs> uh, macOS okay macOS uh, Oxnard. That was a joke in a previous keynote, I think, but we'll go with it. Oh, yeah. They can do anything they put their minds to, right? They could even fix stage manager. They can. You want to you wanna change states? You want to start calling macOS releases after, I don't know, placing Arkansas? You can. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not? Uh, Mac see. OS Fayetteville, uh, Mac OS Jonesboro. <laughs> I just I live next door to Arkansas. I know all these places. Let's see, Mac Mac OS uh, Pine Bluff. Oh, Pine Bluff's nice. Yeah, Holly Mac Spring, OS, or uh, Hot Springs. Mac OS Sheridan. Uh, Mac OS uh, Mac OS Conway. <laughs> Mac OS Clinton. 
<laughs> that comes with some other connotations for some people. Probably not. Well, I think that does it for this week. If you want to find links to stuff we spoke about, head on over to the web at relay.fm slash connected slash 402. While you're there, you can join and get Connected Pro, which is a longer ad-free version of the show each and every week. You can find us all online. You can find Federico on Twitter at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I, and he is the editor-in-chief of MacStories.net. Mike is out this week, but you can find him on Twitter as I-M-Y-K-E, and he hosts a bunch of shows here on Relay FM. You can find me online as ISMH. I co-host uh, Mac Power Users here on Relay FM and write at 512pixels.net. I'd thank our sponsors this week, Squarespace, Clean My Mac X, and Hover. And until next time, Federico, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Bye, y'all.